Can you pinpoint the 10 security gaps in your attack surface that account for 90% of your risk? It's impossible using a combination of scanners, pen tests, breach and attack simulation tools, and manual processes. But attackers can find your gaps. They perform recon and target the weaknesses with the best return. The Cognito platform sees your external attack surface the way attackers do, eliminating blind spots. Powered by a global bot network, the Cognito platform prioritizes your highest risk security gaps, integrates with existing workflows, and reduces operational costs. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Cognito. When it comes to web app and API security, the choice is simple. You can choose Fastly's security solution that teams will actually use in full blocking mode, just like 90% of their customers. Or you can stick with costly options that you probably just turn on. You can get Fastly's all-in-one platform that protects apps everywhere they live, however they're built. Or departments can agree to disagree. You can go to securityweekly.com forward slash Fastly to learn more. Or you can just wish you had. Welcome back, everyone, to Paul's Security Weekly. Security Weekly is more than happy. Wait, what is more than happy? Is that I, like exuberant? I say excited. Exuberant? Excited. Security Weekly is exuberant to announce that we will be at InfoSec World 2021 in person, October 25th through the 27th this year. Our annual partnership with InfoSec World is extra special because like we're the same company under Cyber Risk Alliance. Um, what does it mean for Security Weekly listeners and InfoSec World attendees? You will get to see and hear many of the Security Weekly team at the event, and you will save 20% off your world pass. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash ISW2021 to register using your discount code. So Neil Yu is the CISO and head of research at Jupiter One creator of the Cyber Defense Matrix and the Die Triad. He is joined by our very own Adrian Sanabria to discuss why the Cyber Defense Matrix gets great reception. So Neil and Adrian, welcome to this segment. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Although I think you messed messed up the uh, title. Adrian had a different title, which I thought was pretty clever. So Adrian, you want to recite the title again? Yeah, yeah. So my title was uh, Five by Five, Why the Cyber Defense Matrix Gets Great Reception. And the, the uh-huh. story behind that, I'd always known Five by Five is kind of a, like, like I can hear you, you're coming in clear. You know, it had something to do with reception. And the, the Cyber Defense Matrix is a five by five rubric. Uh, so I, I, I just thought that that would be fun for the radio geeks that, that would get the reference. And, and I love three of the five because I'm an app user data guy. So mm. you got me covered. So I'm all good. <laughs> Actually, that's kind of the uh, uh, one of the basic premises of the the matrix and why it's named the cyber defense matrix. I think back in the day um, when we all got into this industry, we're like, well, we we don't like the word cyber. We you know we, people had to drink when we said the word. Um, but when we think about the security industry. Uh, we all kind of came from different directions. Some of us were endpoint security people. Some of us were application security people. Some of us were network security people. Some of us were information security people, or, you know, you could put, align that against data. Uh, some of us were focused on insider threat and making sure that people um, weren't a problem, right? Um, but what's one word that describes that all? And fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, uh, the word cyber does describe that all. But when we use the cyber word cyber, we oftentimes forget about those other dimensions or those those other asset classes. And so, uh, the cyber defense matrix, in some ways, is a way for me to remember that 
uh, when we talk about cybersecurity, it does involve all these different facets of our ecosystem. Yeah, and I, I, think I love the evolution to yeah. William Gibson's Neuromancer, I think popularized cyber, and particularly cyberpunk, which I think is yep. a term we should also, maybe we need a cyberpunk matrix or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but Sunil, I think you did a really good job of breaking this down because when when Paul and I sit down and think about taxonomies and we think about how to categorize topics that we cover on the show. We think about that a lot lately. We do lately. We have been. I, I think boiling it down to these five kind of buckets makes a lot of sense, right? In that, Wow, we had like 70, so Neil boiled it down <laughs> well, to five. Well, 25. It's you 25 a, buckets. It's uh, five 25. by five. Yeah, yeah, five by five. But, I mean, when you think about it, though, devices. Devices can include things like industrial mm -hmm. control systems and IoT and other things that we break out of separate categories and we don't know how to roll them the right way. Applications makes complete sense. I mean, I came out of the networking space, so the network obviously is, is still there. Um, but then, you know, I think the ones we forget about sometimes is the data user side of this some days. I mean, when I see the news, you know, we're talking about security operations and incident response and all these really advanced capabilities. But at the end of the day, it's it's protecting these five domains. And, and how do you effectively protect these five kind of areas in a way that maps out to this, um, the NIST CSF? And I think you guys have done a really good job of, of mapping that out. Yeah, and, and the whole point that you just made in terms of um, there's all these different classes of devices. What I, what I discovered is the type of solutions that fit in that asset class or that, that row, if you will, <clears throat> they tend to be um, similar in nature. So protecting a medical device is going to be very different than how you protect um, uh, ICS. But the, but the nature of how they're being protected is actually generally the same. You know, we, we try to... Um, anyway, but the point is that the, 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 despite the fact that I only have these five asset classes, and trust me, I've had many times when I've wanted to add a sixth or a seventh, where, you know, you keep going and going. Um, but I think there's, there's a beauty in the simplicity of just having this five-by-five five matrix to be able to, to create a forcing function, mentally at least, to say, okay, where do we see common patterns? Where do we see common approaches? And can we can we group them in such a way that it helps us find potential uh, solutions where we may not have one now? In other words, um, we have a way to protect laptops, okay? That's a device. Uh, is there a pattern there that we see in how we protect a laptop that may uh, shed light in terms of how we protect other types of devices that don't look like laptops? Right. Yeah, and I think the simplicity is somewhat uh, deceiving here, you know, because, um, you know, Sunil had a two-hour workshop, and it easily could have been four hours. Like, everybody in that workshop wanted to spend more time on these on these exercises using this matrix. And um, I don't know if you keep count of the number of use cases, uh, Sunil, but, uh, you know, there, there were two that I kind of highlighted, but uh, there, there's got to be dozens, you know, that, yeah. that I've, I've seen used here. Yeah, I, I've I've come I've uh, arrived at somewhere close to fifty at this point. Um, many of them aren't fully developed, but uh, um, but yeah, I would say there's like a solid thirty plus that uh, I've come up with that or I've used and uh, and refined that does actually add some interesting value. Many of those are in the RSA briefings, um, going back to the 2016 one, uh, and then I, I did a refresh in 2019. Um, I was gonna so <laughs> so the first one was the cyber defense matrix. The second one is cyber defense matrix reloaded. Um, probably next year I'll do revolutions, and I thought <laughs> I would have been done because right. 
But then apparently there's a new Matrix coming out, so who knows? We may we may have an encore after that. There was multiple iterations of the Matrix. Never mind. Okay. Oh well. <laughs> multiple versions <laughs> well, of the Matrix. Well, the, the, I mean, this is a standard iteration of of how things evolve in these sorts of things because you start. You said you had seventy. I mean, and and. Factor analysis would tell you, or cluster analysis will tell you, these things start to collapse into into these bubbles. Right. And over time, you'll see the sort of mathematics of it. Of these are really all the same thing. And I mean, it may even be things you don't expect. But each they, one of our matrices had the one. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you Sorry, fire just... you fire them when they make a mistake. That's right. <laughs> and they can't work in the industry ever again. That's oh, never gonna die. <laughs> never gonna die. Doug's keeping it alive. Tattoos are coming. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what are some of those use case scenarios that you walk through in the workshop then? Because like I said, 70, I could come up with close to 70 scenarios, right? Potentially based (laughs) on our taxonomy. So, uh, you know, kind of walk us through aspects of how do you bring a workshop to light in a five by five matrix? You got 25, but we know there's variations in each one. Um, sure. Just, just yeah. the identify column across these five is not five. It's way more than five, right? Yeah. So uh, this particular workshop, actually, Adrian didn't uh, mention it, um, but he was actually one of the speakers at this workshop. He was facilitating one of the use cases, one that I thought was really fabulous. Um, I always do two use cases. The first one is uh, mapping product categories, and I try to fit product categories that are new, like, for example. Where does zero trust fit into any of this? Mm-hmm. Um, and on the product category side, I used the uh, White House executive order and picked out all the buzzwords in the White House executive order and said, okay, where do all these different terms map into the cyber defense matrix? So that's just, uh, it's a it's a, just a, uh, an understanding of what do these words mean, okay? Uh, the second exercise, uh, which I can always count on as well, is to map the innovation sandbox vendors. So we see 10 vendors, no one knows, no one has any idea what they do. Um, but once you can map them into the matrix, you now have some idea as to what problem they're trying to solve. So those are two, those are just two examples of the use cases that we went through in this workshop. Um, again, Adrian did a fantastic one tied to uh, breaches and specifically uh, all the different ways that Equifax, um, all the process and people failures that we saw uh, in the Equifax breach. And what we were trying to do is to map out uh, where those failures occurred in the cyber defense matrix, then subsequently the, guy, the goal here being, um, well, what could we have done to have addressed them? And now we have ways to think about the solutions mm-hmm. um, that would have helped us address some of those uh, process and control failures. So can we take zero trust as an example? Because I think it's a very interesting example. <laughs> because depending on which vendor uses the, the term zero trust, they have a very specific slant on this. Early mm-hmm. days, for example, it came out of the network side of the house, right? That's right. And zero trust was all about zero. Tr- zero trust was around networking and micro segmentation, et cetera. But to me, zero trust has to tie in user and application and all these other components. It, does zero <clears throat> trust map across all but, five of but these? Matt, it also ties into our struggles in categorization of where do you put application isolation? Because mm-hmm. when it's done on the desktop, Versus when it's on the server means two totally different things. And then you talk about bots. Is it a bot net or is it bot management or mitigation? And how do you how do you draw the lines? How, how do you have a hierarchy like the matrix that this feeds into, Sunil? 
Yeah, so first of all, one thing that I would caution is uh, the Matrix in its current format with the 5x5, five five, it, it's sort of like a 30,000-foot view. Yep. When you start getting into the nuances of, let's say, you know, uh, bot management versus bot mitigation versus, you know, whatever, there's all these small nuances. That starts getting fuzzy. Um, and notably, you know, expect you can expect to see that when you are looking at something at a 30,000-foot view. Um but at the 30,000-foot view, you can see, of course, the forests and see which forests are well-populated and which ones are quite bare. Um, and that's kind of the view that you can get uh, when you look at, for example, the vendor landscape itself. So one of the first use cases I had for the cyber defense matrix was just mapping vendors. Um, I, just doing the 10 vendors uh, in the innovation sandbox, that's not easy. I'm sure Adrian can attest to that. It, it's confusing, mm -hmm. right? They Vendors lie. <laughs> you got to figure out what what they really mean. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> um, so then the the other point about where does zero trust go? Yes. So there's zero trust network access. There's zero trust application access. And even the term application um, is ambiguous. Is it uh, talking about a uh, enterprise web app, or are we talking about let's say a remote browser? Or a uh, or remote desktop. These are all things that we now have solutions to um, put a zero trust proxy in front of. Uh, more recently, there's been another one tied to just databases, putting a zero trust proxy in, in front of a database. So all, all these different um, uh, asset classes that are part of the matrix, we, I've now seen zero trust solutions emerge that capture uh, or that provide protections for those different types of assets. Uh, there's one other comment that you made that I want to correct. So. You mentioned zero trust users. Well, I haven't seen anything that provides a zero trust proxy in front of people. You know, there's that just doesn't work. But that said, there is another element to the zero trust equation, which is how do I know that this entity is truly who they are? Okay. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of zero trust solutions offer is um, integration with better authentication mechanisms, whether that's tied to the user uh, through MFA. Or it's even tied to the things that the user uses. Let's say, for example, the device. So the device certificate being uh, usually the most common elements. Both the device certificate plus the MFA uh, is what uh, grants access to some zero trust access proxy. Um, however, the model, the the cyber defense matrix model, implies that there are other ways that I can get better uh, resolution around what who the entity is. Maybe I can get um, a browser certificate. Maybe I can. I could still use IP addresses for that matter, right? Uh, I could say, you know what? If you're coming from Tor, I don't care how what kind of device you're using and what kind of uh, or whether you have MFA enabled or not. I just don't want to let you in, right? So, anyway. Yeah. So how do you how do you map a a concept like sassy into that into the matrix? Can, can I share a screen? I, I think a visual might help, right, Sunil? Uh, yeah, I do have a, I have a slide for that. That's a common phrase. <laughs> or you can share, yeah. No, no, I, I don't know how to share on this platform. So, I mean, uh, I, hopefully, I don't know if, I presume it will show up. I, well, okay, well, let me get, I I, 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 I've already got them ready, so. Oh, yeah, there you go. There yes. you go. Yeah, so, okay, yeah, so where do you put a concept like Sassy? And what you see here, I, I put a, this dotted line around all these things that provide zero trust access to these resources um, that collectively is now being declared sassy. Um, now, the problem is, again, um, different v vendors say different things about this particular approach. <laughs> so um, 
some some will have. I wasn't, I wasn't coughing at your comments. I was just, <laughs> I was oh, yeah, just well, joking. He inhaled so, some I'm smoke. sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, Continue. I wouldn't have been surprised if you if you did, because that's again vendors vendors lie, right? They exaggerate and they say yes, we can do all these things when they really don't. Well, yeah, and, but sometimes that's that's marketing acting in a an ethical way sometimes in unethical way i like to think that most of the time it, they're acting in an ethical way to put themselves in a category so that they have a category to fall in right mm -hmm. and it, it sometimes it agreed it does happen where they're like i'm gonna do this and this is not really what we do but i'm gonna say it's what we do but there's budget the there <laughs> yeah because there's budget there right exactly you're right adrian there's a market there that we want to go after, even though it doesn't closely map to what we do. I, I call that marketing in a vacuum, where you basically yeah. say, here's where we want to be, we're going to p position ourselves there in all the literature, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But I think the, the interesting scenario we, we must address is the particularly newer vendors, which is why I like you're looking at the innovation sandbox, that I mm. like the newer vendors that don't squarely fit yeah. in any one particular category or place. Because I also think many of those vendors have some value because they're looking at things differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially when it comes to cloud or third-party assets. Um, that's been a challenge for me to map it cleanly back into the matrix because it seems to transcend many categories and mm -hmm. many um, different boxes. So, so for example, if, I, if I'm providing um, security for AWS, well, is that a device? Is that right. an application? <laughs> right. Um, it could be all uh, all of the above, but it I, is like, all I, above. I like yeah. vendors that are aggressive too. In a, a, a former sponsor of us, Vicarious, right? Um, they did some programs with us. The reason I liked them is because they were aggressive. Because they they're like, look, we want to play in multiple categories. We want to be in vulnerability management, in prioritization, and we want to be in protection as well because we have great memory protections. I'm like, you're taking on a lot. But you know what? I really like you for that, that you're taking on a lot That's, and not like getting stuffed into one category. Like you're just, you're literally thinking outside of the box. But that's what makes these grids evolve. Uh, we, we call it splatters. So sometimes you have these nice clusters and things and, and, and factor analysis and they look really clean, but then new stuff starts to happen, and it just sort of splatters on the grid, and that's, yeah. that's, how, the grid, yeah. that's how the grid evolves. Mm -hmm. So over time, yeah. you're going to see that grid start to evolve into new yeah. grids because stuff splatters on it and goes, this doesn't fit that's right. anything. That's right. In fact, that's exactly how I arrived at the many different use cases. Yeah. Uh, if I look at the model as a as – a, if I took the scientific uh, method for the model, uh, what I would try to do is to disprove the model. Yeah. Give me evidence that says this doesn't fit. Yep. Well, <laughs> there were plenty of that kind of evidence. Some there are many things that didn't fit, and as I thought about it further, um, I discovered there is a way to make it fit without having to change the the, right. the basic of the five by five. But um, uh, the way I made it fit then discovered a new use case, and mm -hmm. it, it, nearly every use case I've come up with was based on hmm, how come I can't fit this thing? And once I discovered how to fit it, then it revealed uh, this whole new world of how to look at the space slightly differently. Um, and actually, more importantly, when I when it opened up this new dimension, so to speak, it uh, revealed all these gaps. I'm like, oh, you know what? There's opportunities to build and uh, address issues in all these other places that aren't haven't been addressed at all yet. And it's just classic math. I mean, you know, I mean, that's that's exactly how these things evolve. Sometimes the splatter is going to hit. And you wipe around the edges and go, yeah, it fits right in there, really. I mean, it looks messy, but it really just fits right in. And other times, it's going to go, oh, no, it's a giant mess. 
now we need to look at new things and then your grid may become something else and and that's that's the evolution of scientific method and math so uh -huh. I, I think that's that's great I like this factor is, analysis. This has been around for a good five years too so to <laughs> tell a, a short anecdote um, I first became uh, the first time I, I really met Sunil was uh, through the cyber defense matrix because we both submitted talks to RSA and we ended up in the same track and the uh, the track moderator um, you know looked at my slides looked at Sunil's slides and said you got you, you should really talk you know and sent me a copy of Sunil's slides and um, at the time I was at 451 research and I was looking for some better models some better, ways to be able to um, convey, you know, a lot of this information, especially like at the 10,000 foot view, to be able to explain where vendors play, what they do, where they where they don't play. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, so I've been using it in various ways uh, ever since. And, you know, one of the ways we use it here is uh, when I do a product review, I use the cyber defense matrix uh, in the product review to show where that vendor plays. Mm -hmm. And then when you compare that to another vendor, you can see uh, at a glance, uh, you know, how, how they might be different at a high level. Yeah. And, and I thought the, the previous slide you had up, Adrian, for a second on the mapping of the in, in, uh, innovation sandbox. You want Is, me to bring that back? Yeah. Can you? Because I think yeah, I saw Satori on there, which had made some headlines because they were one of the nominees or winners in the sandbox? No, a won. I'm sorry, Sunil, what was that? A Piro uh, was the one that won. Oh, okay. Yeah. What I noticed that's very interesting when you map these out for a second, um, sorry, everybody, I got to look to the side. There's a lot in the identify and protect There's a lot in domains. apps, users, and data, Matt. And there's a lot in app, user, and data. I, I mean, are these the trends we're, we're seeing with some of these newer use cases as people realizing that app user data in the cloud in a remote work environment is a little more important than the network at this point and maybe the devices and we're we're not doing some of the back to the cyber hygiene discussion doing our basic identify and protect mechanisms um to, to build that basic cyber hygiene is do you see the same thing sunil because that's what i took away from from that quick mapping yeah so um if Adrian can show the one of the prior slides, um, you see this three-year dependency thing on the bottom that talks about the uh, shifting between technology, people, and process as you go from left to right. So I, I had this observation immediately upon uh, mapping all these vendors as well earlier uh, when I first mapped these all out. And it was, it was evident that there was a huge concentration of technology on the left side of the left side of the matrix. Um, and so it, it beg the question like are, are we just over invested in on uh identify protect side of the equation can you um it's not this particular slide it's uh well <laughs> i think adrian's uh screen is kind of going on the blitz too um but let me pull that up in a, in a moment but the the basic uh, uh observation was there appears to be lots of stuff on the left part of the matrix mm -hmm. is that um indicative what what is that indicative of? I mean, ultimately, uh, what does that what does that imply from an investment standpoint? What does it imply from uh, our dependency on technology standpoint? All, all these different uh, facets to to the equation here. So th this is the slide um, I'm referring to. Can y'all see it? Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So tons of vendors on the left. Well, what's what's going on on the right? How come there are so few vendors over here? And uh, I, I ended up with a 
another interesting conclusion around what's going on perhaps on the right side. And that led to me led me to another uh, model that I cre created called the DIE framework or the DIE tri sorry DIE triad, and the uh, DIE stands for distributed, immutable, and ephemeral. And what I was uh, uh, the, the the specific thing that I came up with was um, I, I was looking at the different eras of time from the 80s to the 90s to the uh, 2000s and so on and so forth, and it turned out. Uh, many of our solutions originally around the fo function of identify came out in the 80s. Many of our solutions for um, uh, uh, needing to protect our IT infrastructure came out in the uh, 1990s. Think about like firewalls, for example, mm -hmm. uh, really came out in the 90s. Then the solutions for uh, the tech came out in the 2000s. I think like SIM, okay? And then in the 2010s, that's when we had to deal with incident response, and so many response capabilities came out in the 2010s, which then naturally leads to this next stage mm -hmm. in the 2020s, and we're not having to deal with recover-oriented problems. Well, what's a recover-oriented problem? Ransomware, yeah, right? Ransomware. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the number <laughs> one, yeah, right now. It's, yeah. it's almost like we're slowly realizing that we can't prevent all the attacks. That's right. So what's the uh, so I, I, the question I had to ask myself is what is there? What 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 kind of solution do we need to have for uh, to address the recovery problem? Now you see in here there's there's solutions like backup, right? Mm -hmm. These are all backup stuff. But I, I realize also that backup is perhaps the old model of doing things. The new model um, for how we should do recover doesn't look like backup at all. Um, the old model was backup. The new model, I think, is something like iCloud. Mm -hmm. Now, iCloud, to some, you can look at it as backup. But to most people, they don't look at it as backup. They look at it, they look at it uh, through the business proposition, the value proposition of, hey, I can get my photos on any device anywhere I want. And not only that, but I, I'm willing to pay for it, right? Who wants to pay for backup? No one. Who wants, who wants to do it? Nobody, right? Um, there's really no business value that's created through backup. Um, it's it's a uh, you know it's a contingency, but when you look at uh, recover done in a way that is um, in this next generation, then it starts looking like iCloud, and it creates business value, and uh, and people don't it, even think it, of it that way. Is that a kind of I mean I mean I was talking about this to some clients about what I was calling persistence of data. So it was almost like, and I, I loathe to use the word blockchain, but it, it, it's almost like the idea of blockchain. So if your data is in enough places at once, you know, that one anomaly becomes like not data. So you've got all this data. It's here. It's there. It's over here. It's in the cloud. It's on a local machine. And so that's the data. And then there's sort of this not data everywhere else. And you can you can use that instead. I, I like the I like what you're saying about about backup becoming a, that that sort of static backup becoming a like non-entity, and it becomes this persistence of data. Yeah, uh, Mario Platt put it this way, which was he he has to answer this question of um, he has to answer question the question of do I have uh, do I have DR, and his answer is no. I have a distributed system. Yeah, and it's like yeah. I mean that's it's getting at the heart of what you're really asking for. Uh, but it has a quality of being distributed. So go back to DIE again. So DIE stands for Distributed Immutable Ephemeral. Yep. And um, my my perspective here to to Adrian's point earlier, 
uh, what we've seen is the failure of protect, detect, and respond. We've we've seen that happen over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the reason why is because we have so many things to have to protect, detect, and respond to. But uh, if we design instead to uh, towards DIE, then it offsets our need for confidentiality, integrity, mm-hmm. and availability. So if I have something that's highly ephemeral, okay, um, like an MFA token where the number changes every five seconds, ten seconds, well, do I really need to worry about the confidentiality of those numbers? And yeah, the answer is no. I really like that word ephemeral. It was the word I was trying to think of the other day. I was talking to somebody. I was like, Try, "That's the word I wanted," and and there it is. I mean, that, that idea that it's just there and it, it's everywhere. I, I I'm I'm there. Wow, yeah, man. And- it's there until it's not, man. Yeah. Right. Wow, like, man, it's like everywhere, man. <laughs> but, but it was interesting. You walk through the matrix, 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010s. So 2020 is the year of recovery, right? I mean, with all the ransomware stuff's going on. But yet in Innovation Sandbox, there's nobody really on the recovery side. So has the, has the venture capital... Um, investments not really caught up to like it, it's all about recover in the 2020s. That's it's where you like guys a should fashion show. Nobody's actually going to wear that. It's oh. just on the runway, right? Oh. Oh. Why is that? Like storage. Nobody's going to wear trash bags to the grocery store. <laughs> I know, but I watch just to see if they're going to trip when they're walking down the runway. Though. <laughs> That's why I watch the Innovation Sandbox too. <laughs> because we're seeing, but the other thing that, that that kind of prompts me for is there, because those technologies are long in the tooth, mm-hmm. on the identify side, we're seeing a resurgence of new identify technologies to replace the old technologies from the '80s, and there's another cycle that's coming through. I just don't. I, I my concern is if there's no investment on recovery, we keep doing the same variations of the old stuff but it needs to be a balance but it needs to be a balance you have to be strong in backup and recovery but you also need to be strong in your detection or protection and detection right so that you're protecting as much as you can detecting as much as you can and like if worse comes to worst you can do the backup and recovery so like you've got to balance all of those things in your program sunil yeah so i I think it depends uh not, not exactly um balance is correct but in the right type of way so when i think about what needs to be uh cia'd okay those are our pets what we consider to be our pets it's the server under your desk right then there's a whole bunch of things that are cattle in the cloud native parlance cattle are things like uh kubernetes uh, or uh, it's kubernetes it's it's uh, containers it's mm-hmm. lambda functions yep. and those are all built to die all right if we want if to to do the protect, detect, and respond, um, they need to be applied. They are applied to our pets. We don't want our pets to die, right? But the problem is, we just have way too many, mm-hmm. and so um, we have we're we have an obligation to protect, detect, and respond to all those pets. Um, and anytime one of those pets gets gets run over by a car, I mean, we're going to have a bad day. So in the future, in the 2020s, as some of these pets get run over. As your exchange server gets compromised, um, we have an option. Do we, resu- we, we recreate this pet again, where we have really no core competency in running an exchange server, okay? Or do we go over to Office 365 that is 
much more like a cat, much more like cattle and less of a pet. I, I ran into the situation at home, Sunil, where we have, we, my neighbors took down a whole bunch of trees and I did too, which I think contributed to this problem, right? I don't know if that relates to cybersecurity. It'd be interesting to explore <laughs> that angle, right? But basically we had a groundhog. So wait, and, wait, I got to the you just remove part of your perimeter. It's yes. the dissolving perimeter. I uh -huh. tied it in. We dissolved some yep. of our perimeter, therefore we had more Excellent threats. Metaphor. One of these threats is a groundhog, and I was like, well, that's a nuisance because the groundhog isn't paying rent, and they're digging holes underneath all of my sheds. I'm like, therefore, it's like cattle. Like, it, it's, it's got to go. Until such time, my family gave it a name, and our oh, groundhog no. was called no, Jerry. Pet. And then we started oh, no. feed, and I fell victim to this too because I'm like Jerry's kind of cute now. Like we feed him <laughs> carrots, and I can see him going in the yard, and he's eating the carrots. I'm like, he's he's really cute, and like he's kind of <laughs> right now he's kind of harmless, right? And I'm like now he's a pet versus cattle, and I'm telling my family like this is a thing in cybersecurity. And as soon as I say that, they immediately tune me out. They're like, I'm not listening to anything that Dad is saying. <laughs> yeah. Like at this point, but I'm like now we have a pet. And we don't have any more cattle, and therefore I can't take my rifle and cause any harm to this poor animal. Because even I, I'm like I, I, like he's cute. Like, Go ahead I, I and admit it. Right? Admit it. You ate Jerry. No, no. <laughs> I'm like, the rabbits he might eat, but the Jerry won't. Because that exactly that. Because they're like, but Dad, we also have rabbits too. Because we do, and rabbits are borrowing holes. But I'm like, mm, rabbits taste really yum, good. Yum. I'm like, so those are cattle. Those are totally cattle. But it really kind of brought to life the. The pets versus cattle like, and how easy it is to adopt term? pets right yeah. and i think we do that in 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 it and security too we kind of adopt these things as pets and we get attached to them where we want them to live for as long as we can keep them alive and we the, but then we also have to protect them in that same way because now i'm like wait if jerry's a pet if there are other threats against that pet i now have to defend not just my kids and my own mm -hmm. dogs that are already pets, but now there's all their new pet as well. Like we can only defend so many pets. And that's how you get battle. terminators. Yeah. yeah, no, that's yeah. that's <laughs> how you get terminators. Cattle. But, but isn't it interesting too, how right? You know, n none of this came out of security, though, right? You know, like mm -hmm. like these were IT folks. This was you know the emergence of DevOps and cloud, trying to make things work better and trying to improve performance. Um, and they end up with something that that's actually really useful for security as well. Like yeah. none of the DIE is anything we invented, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, and I've often argued that DevOps has done more to advance security in the last decade than any. It, it, it's that emotional property. detachment that I think many myself included struggled with, with the pets mm -hmm. versus cattle thing is that traditionally everything in that studio is named right everything, <laughs> everything has a name and i want to name it and i want to keep it as a pet and when we looked at things like containers and cloud native services and soon you mentioned lambda that these are very ephemeral things that you really don't you don't care about as much because you're just going to rebuild them and and restart them and that's a but a they may turn into change. pets because we we do tend to push towards the static yeah. So we want things that we are comfortable with to persist, and we don't necessarily like this is the pets, and and we're not comfortable with the things that are cattle because they're new or they're different or they're we don't understand them, and so but they slowly evolve into pets. But it goes back right. to my and conversation also, with Ed with Ed Scotus though when uh, I believe it was after we stopped recording, and he said he was talking to Marcus Random, and I think I remember this analogy that Marcus had was that. 
you know, software is like that iceberg. And the problems that we see are only the things that emerge above the water. And underneath is all that legacy stuff. And he's like, guess what? We're kind of glomming things on to that iceberg underneath the water mm. and like building up that pet above, you know, below rather that visibility layer mm -hmm. and, and building this thing that we have to take care of. There will be dragons that we and we have to drag it around with us. Right. And when we build code, it, it code is it, and it goes back to the interview. So it's interesting. The Silver Bullet Security podcast. Historically, I was going back and kind of drawing inspiration for my, my new series that I want to build. And I looked back on the Silver Bullet Security podcast. The last uh, interview they had was a reverse interview. It was Marcus Random interviewing Gary McGraw. I implore all of our audience to go watch that interview. It happened in December of 2018, a thousand times still relevant today. And Marcus interviewing Gary and talking about software and going, you know, we're just continuing to create software. That software that you wrote 20 plus years ago, is someone can still pick up and run today. If they're not running it today, someone could pick that up and run it today. So we're never like reducing our technical debt down to becoming to having that that mm -hmm. that cattle versus a pet, which is a huge That's, problem. I mean that that goes to the analogy that cattle were just pushing that risk off to the to the ranchers, right? Mm -hmm. Essentially the ranchers still have the same problem and we're just going to the store and buying the meat. You still have the same diseases, you still have the same business yeah. problems. Amazon's producing a whole but you don't see ton, it. Yeah, a whole ton of cattle. But you, you still have the it. same prey. You still have the bears and the coyotes yeah. and all the other threats to the cattle. And so how do you think about mitigating those threats in a cattle world versus what we did in a pet world? And, and yeah, you still, we, you're right, we shifted We it. still have the threat. Yeah. I still yeah, have. Absolutely. Well, so we were just talking before the show. We still have the bobcats. We still have the, what's the other cat-like thing? Ocelots. Lynx. Ocelot, the lynx. lynx. Mountain lions. No, the other thing with the big claws that... Uh, Mountain Fisher lion? cats. Fisher cats. Fisher oh, cats. yeah, we were those talking are about vicious. those. Yeah. Those, those are like your Russian hackers. They're vicious. <laughs> I thought you were going for honey badger. Honey badgers, honey badgers. <laughs> they have big wolverines. <laughs> I think I think the body actually provides a great example of of um, the fact that one we still have a lot of threats, but your body has been has been designed to basically ward off at different layers. I mean, think about this defense and depth view of a body. What's your pet in your body? What's the one thing that you don't want to lose? That's your brain, uh, right? Mm. And it has the proper shielding. It has uh, it's it's well protected, if you will. That right? wasn't what I was thinking, but I, you know where, <laughs> where most men think their brains are is kind of where we were going, yeah. Sneel. I, I don't think that was yeah. where you were going. And he said well, brain. I was well, like, no, that was what I was thinking. But whether it's your liver for those who drink a lot, or for your lungs. Anyway, you get the idea. There's, there's uh, things got that are there critical. Yet. Keep yeah. going. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Keep going south. Okay, never mind. <laughs> liver, kidneys. Yeah, those are all uh, good. That's what's cattle in your body is more of the uh, your skin cells, right? And it provides yeah, this right. outer layer. Yep. Um, and, and that's the first thing that gets harmed. But at some level, you know, it's a flesh wound. You don't really care at some level when it's just it's a flesh a wound. Mere, you don't even care. It's a mere flesh wound. Yeah, I'm if we can only better. keep attacks to a mere you flesh get wound. Getting better. 
yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not dead so, yet. I love the, uh, I love the analogy though, Sneel. I do. No, it I is. Do. That's, that's really good. I'm I think with I'm Mike, that. Mike Lloyd uh, from Red Steel, we explored a lot of those those paths in right. how the body defends itself. I, like the I think there's some cell. great, I like great the analogies. Skin cell thing. That's, He's that's the really one that, that brought up the whole pets versus cattle thing. And the analogy yeah. into into the body as very, well. This is very excellent. Yeah. yeah, I really like that. There are a lot of analogies in cybersecurity that fall down very quickly. I think we highlighted some that 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 stand up. I think the the biology and pets versus cattle uh, analogies I think stand up much better in my mind than other analogies. So so, so here here's some food for thought. You know, to go along with that, um, Cisco and Scientia teamed up to do this uh, great. Uh, security outcome study. Um, and I hadn't read it yet, but I did catch the keynote with Wendy Nather and, and Wade Baker earlier today uh, at RSA. And they put together this outcomes matrix of, you know, like, like what activity that security does uh, results in the most positive outcomes. And I couldn't you know, that, think of two better that, people, Adrian, uh, just to comment on that because you said wade baker and wendy nather in the same sentence it was great if there were ever two people i'd want to see give a talk together it would be those two people yeah and and it's mm-hmm. a double blind study like like there's no you know cisco we want to sell you stuff inserted into here whatsoever and the number one thing that pops up is proactive tech refresh it's yeah. not even a, a a security you wouldn't even think of that as a, as but, a security but thing here's my thing and I'm not putting myself in the same category as those two people, but I think one of the things I've mentioned recently on uh, Enterprise Security Weekly is that reduction of technical debt that both benefits the business and benefits security. If we can position ourselves to be like, look, if we update this technology and we're able to move faster and reduce our technical debt, not only do we be more secure in doing that, but the thing you want to bring to the board is we're going to be a better competitive player in the market because we're doing a better service to our customers. This was brought Mm -hmm. up in the light of industrial control system security where I was like, you know, the power companies and utility companies want us to use less resources. They want us to use less of their product. Mm-hmm. Right? Is there? And how do we motivate them to have reduce their technical debt and provide a better service to their customers? Where the electric companies like we want you to like conserve on your power bill and use less. Mm. Put that aside for a moment. Think of every other business out there that wants to turn a profit, generate revenue, and make a profit. They want their customers to have a better experience, have better technology that ties into reducing your technical debt to overcome those issues, to provide a better service to your uh, end users, that benefits security greatly. Greatly. IT resources do not get better with age, unlike Washington. <laughs> right? No, yeah. they don't. Oh, except except totally. me. And, and I, I want to try to figure out how to tie it, that back into the matrix for a second, because it's like, when you think about the CISO, and you think about organizations trying to defend their networks... How do we think about what are the right things to bring into the environment in this world where we're trying to convert pets to cattle, right? Um, and, and, and reduce technical debt. Are there areas in the matrix that we should really focus on to help an organization kind of transcend and move forward instead of, look, we've been doing the same stuff for 30 years and we think it's going to get better just magically by itself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think we saw in the, the the alignment of the vendors, there's still a lot of companies that do identify. 
I think whether you build towards CIA or build towards DIE, whether you build pets or cattle, Identify is still a very uh, fundamental capability that we all need. Now, what happens in Identify? Well, I think part of the uh, activity that, that we should think about in the function of Identify is, is this cattle starting to become like a pet, mm. right? Is this groundhog, did we, did we just give it a name? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How long lived is it, right? Uh, have we made changes to it? There, they, these are aspects of what I think, you know, follow the DIE principles. And the more that we start violating those principles of DIE, we should start asking the question, is this becoming a pet? And if it is becoming a pet, then shall we be proactive and avoiding an emotional attachment to this thing? Um, because it, we, we just mentioned we want to convert pedal into cattle. But unfortunately, that's not... That's not easy. It, it, you already have an emotional attachment. It's, to it, ca- right? it's counterintuitive. You're absolutely right, Sunil. It's counterintuitive that we adopt technology and we get so comfortable with it and so attached to it that it becomes a pet. And that, mm-hmm. in in like real life, that that's a positive thing because you build a bond with your pet and that's a, a mutual kind of beneficial relationship, right? In in IT, it's not. <laughs> when it becomes a right. pet, it's a bad thing, and that's a really hard yeah. thing for human beings to kind of grapple with. That like you can't have this emotional attachment to technology. As soon as you do, that means you're going to try and keep it around for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to benefiting the business, one and security, it's a bad thing. And, and sometimes you got to eat Fido. I mean, it's it's tough, you know. But it's, some, yeah, sometimes, you know, it's like it's me or you, buddy, and and you know, I'm sorry, but I mean, I, I mean, I went that's, through. It's really dark, Doug. I, I know I just, it's dark, it but I mean, really but dark, I, yeah. I've I've had that experience with with like actual technology, where you actually have to sit down and say, you know, I'm sorry, buddy, but it, it's time to go. You've had, it, but you've described exactly mm-hmm. that, Doug, where. You've had to turn off the vax. I know. I was in the PDP right. eleven. PDP had to 11. go down. I had there to go down go. and cut the padlocks off the thing and pull the bus bars. And it was. I sad. mean, there was an emotional attachment. It was literally an emotional attachment that felt like. I mean, and <laughs> I lost and, a losing friend. a friend. And I have. And I have yeah. actually had to do the lethal injection with the pet before. You know, it's yes, like it's me time. Too. Yeah. Right. And yes. it was incredibly powerful. And I actually was equating that to turning off the PDP-11. But the PDP-11 needed to be turned off. I mean, it really, really needed to be turned off. And yeah, but I still hold... I mean, it was the birthplace of Unix, and we all hold a special I didn't want to, to turn it off. I, I wanted to take it home with me and nurture it and, and put drops in its eyes for the next 10 years, but I, I, I had to turn it off, mm. and it really, really sucked. And, and I think we get into those models all the time. We're comfortable... We feel good about it. We've got this thing that sits on our lap, and it's comfortable. And it says, "I know you're Windows ME, but I no. need to. I, need I know to. you're my enterprise Java <laughs> application. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I love you, and I yeah. love all of your classes. You're, and, you're right. And, yeah, I, I, hit, I hit Windows ME with a hammer, so it was just like, you, you know, yeah, I'm sorry. Windows no. ME is that? Yeah, Java <laughs> is the harder thing to and, let go of. It the is enterprise. very hard I, to I let think, go think, of these things, and we get comfortable with them, and we we revere them. And we feel good about them because right. they make us feel good about ourselves. And then when it comes time to put them down, it is really, really hard to do. And uh, and I mean, yeah. So the PDP eleven thing was still a. a I but I I identify with it, and I think a lot of us identify with that. If you've ever written an application, yeah, it could be 
a, a really small shell script somewhere or it could be a huge application yeah you put so much time and effort into developing that it's hard it's hard to and let go that, but what we're saying so, is from so, a business and security perspective you've got to let these things go I think part of the problem, and actually one of the taglines that I that I, I put out in that presentation I gave the same year that uh, Sonil introduced the cyber defense matrix, was plan to ditch before you hitch. Yeah. And the the idea being, be- before you engage with a product, you know, and, and there was a little like subtitle that said not marriage advice. Um, you, you for win. some people maybe it is, you know, prenups are a thing. But um, but that that's the whole idea, like, like like a prenup, like like you've got to think like how deep am I going to get with this? How hard is this going to be to transition off of? Right. To, is this going to gonna be a Hollywood of? marriage or a Bill and Melinda Gates? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's going to go on for the next ten years. That's going to take a decade to unravel. Okay, I am not the darkest person here. Okay, I'm like I'm sorry, but that's it. I'm good. I'm covered. Bezos. <laughs> I think what we're saying is you want to be on the more Hollywood marriage side and yeah. not on the Bill and Melinda yeah. Gates side. Yeah. Yeah. Open you, Hollywood you know, marriage side. It's gonna die. Go ahead and plan for it at the beginning. At Jeff Bezos, right? Yep. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, it's there's a Japanese thing where where like they you know other cultures plan for funerals way ahead of time mm. and it's not morose for them to do that. Yeah, I, I mean I think that that's a very interesting concept. I, I mean I always I always tell people the story. My my dad when my dad got out of the military in 1951, uh, with his separation pay, he bought four funeral plots for his wife and children yeah. that did not exist. That's pretty dark. That's pretty dark. But 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 you know, I mean, that's that's thinking ahead. That's that's planning for that obsolescence that's going to happen, and you and you have to know that. You it's, have it's to, an you interesting have to notion that. Uh, that we've we've touched on over the years, but not really, I think, delved into in in depth as we have in this segment. Right? Is I mean, that, especially today, that kind of obsolescence right. I think is important for us to keep in mind. I, I think we should look at that. It's like a, it's that. an evolution, right? Because I yeah. think we we thought we would develop applications and even develop security strategies that would live for a really long time. And what we're saying is, what you're building today is not you can't cling to it's it. It's not your forever home. Nope, you yeah. can't cling to it. And that's why I like that pets versus cattle thing because. Yeah. The pets versus cattle thing is exactly that. It's, it makes it so succinct because it's like the difference in I'm going to care for you till you go versus I'm going to care for you, you until you're, you're, you're useful or not. Yeah, right? you're, yeah. you're useful, but today I got to eat you. So, you know, life's hard and, and mm-hmm. thanks. Thanks for all your work. But yeah, here we go. So, yeah. Wow, that's, that's, wow, that's dark. really a, not Man, a positive I, I need to end more. We need something else positive to end on <laughs> other than that. I like that. I, I love dark, so I like the endings of the Sopranos. So you know, it's I, like I don't actually. I, I'm curious, Sunil, as you've worked through this matrix over the last five years, are there any strategies or recommendations that companies should take away yeah. on how to change their security program for the better to prepare for the inevitable? Is yeah. that I need to move pets to cattle? Uh-huh. And I have to be, I, I have to think about this in, in this retirement and this constant evolution of change. How do you buy a funeral plot in 1951? Uh, I mean, I mean, I think that the dark as that sounds, but how but do you do more that? More positive. I, I like to think of it in, in sci-fi movies where no one really dies. Like if you look at Star Trek <laughs> and Star Wars and Marvel, Thank like you. no one really dies. Like if you die, it's like whatever. The There's writers, sequel, or they they the writers can just come up with some other way to bring someone back to life. 
Yeah, but that's not reality. And I mean, yeah, I, I mean, as dark as that is, and I and I will to put this back in context and and make it almost not positive, but sort of bittersweet. I mean, I love Spock, and so Spock didn't really die. So uh, but I, I will tell you, when, when my dad <laughs> when, when, really did, when, but, when my yeah. dad died, and my dad died suddenly. I never respected him more as the fact that he had all that pre-planned. He was, yeah. he was it was yeah, all there. Right. But I didn't ha I didn't have to do anything. I just I yeah. all I had to do was call this phone number that was written on a sheet of paper and I was mm -hmm. like call this number and everything settled. And and I was like that made my life so much easier. So I I think people need to think about those sort of obsolescence. And we were talking earlier in the previous uh, segment about the nuclear industry and saying 3 years out we're going to do a patch. And I'm like that's planning. And I mean, I think you almost need to think about what's next yep. when you start something. You need to think what's what's on the next grid. You know, here's the grid today, but what's that grid three mm -hmm. years out, and what does it look like? Because I think that kind of planning is buying the funeral plot in 1951, and maybe it doesn't. It's dark for you, but for everybody else, it's it's a it's a plus. It, it's a big big plus out there somewhere in the future. So, so Neil, did you ever imagine it was going to dovetail into this <laughs> line of? Uh, you guys go in many different directions, which makes it all entertaining. I, I, let me let me close with a couple quick comments, though. Uh, one light at the end of the tunnel is I, I gave you those different eras, right? The 80s, 90s, 2000s, uh, so on and so forth. Well, the 2020s is the age of recover or the age of resilience. Mm. There's only five functions in this in the NIST cybersecurity framework. So, hey, you know, to me, that's the light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe we'll have this problem solved after we uh, finish this era. Um, and then as far as planned obsolescence is concerned, um, I think a lot of us are somewhat, I mean, we, we have a visceral reaction to not wanting planned obsolescence when it comes to, for example, let's say our phones, right? Uh, we hate the fact that Apple has planned obsolescence where it makes the, uh, they make the phone run slower and so on and so forth. But if you think about it from a security standpoint, that's great. <laughs> we yeah. actually want yeah. planned obsolescence because it means we have uh, iOS 5 device uh, or you know iPhone 5s that no longer work anymore and therefore you, you, you ditch them and they become less of an attack surface. I, I think it's a great point, Neil. I think Apple, we could talk about their attitude and culture towards security, but their constant push to move forward, which is interesting because it's not about security for them, it's about pushing innovation and technology forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It also has a security benefit as well. And we kind of, mm -hmm. I, I kind of joke that the next Apple devices will have no ports, nothing, no external ports, like everything, charging, interfaces with the user will all be through wireless technology. And is that necessarily a bad thing, right? As we evolve to, to let go of those things that we know and love in the past. And does that mean certain technology providers that we're using today become obsolete, obsolete. in the near future because they don't solve the problems I need to solve as innovation continues in the industry. And look, if I'm a public company and I'm sitting in one of these domains, should I really be thinking about how do I really move the needle forward? Because otherwise I potentially become obsolete. If I, mm -hmm. if I make physical hardware devices that require a cable for Apple today, I got to be thinking that someday that's going to go away. I got to be well. moving to Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and NFC in my devices because that that's where it's going well i, I think I, the only reason it hasn't is uh they get uh i think it's three dollars per lightning connector royalty <laughs> sure there's a lot of revenue for right. apple but they could collect that with Bluetooth I, 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 I will, i'm gonna sum that up because one time i was in china and i'd been in china for almost like 20 something days 
and we were speaking Chinese, and I, I my Chinese was terrible. And I Your Chinese I, is terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> it yeah, terrible. it is terrible now. I've watched I, enough Chinese movies, and I've and heard I was, you speak Chinese, and I know it's. But terrible. I, I was picking. <laughs> I was picking up a peanut out of a bowl with a pair of chopsticks, and this guy in the, in the, in a meeting said, and I dropped it, and he said, <laughs> "Never hold anything too tightly." Mm. And I saw that in Chinese in my head, and yes. it was this amazing epiphany. And I was just... And he said that in Chinese. Yeah, and I was absolutely... How do you say that in Chinese? I don't know. I don't remember. But <laughs> I was absolutely floored by this. And it was just this one pure moment that I, I think applies to IT and security is never hold anything too tightly and mm. be, be prepared yes. to move on. Oh, it's great. And, I, and, and, and it just... If it you just, could say that in Chinese, it would be so prolific. Yeah, I know. It. I should have looked that up before the show, but I, <laughs> I, I didn't know I was going to end up on like true confessions. It's also like with, with cigars as well. There's a, a saying in, uh, in Spanish about uh, let the ash fall where it may. So when you Ooh. smoke a cigar, like you shouldn't keep flicking the ash. Like wherever it falls, it falls, and that's the way you should smoke a cigar. Yeah. Like it's a very philosophical very. kind of thing. But it, but I, that's the way that was. And I, very, and I, it, it, it does summarize what we were talking about. And I think it comes about. right here yeah. to this, like, never hold anything too tightly. And yeah. it, it was just, like, one of the most powerful moments in my whole life. I, it with, was a really well, with, with a peanut. I need to know if Sunil has any proverbs to end the segment with, because I think we've already gotten a couple. <laughs> Um, well, it's not a proverb, but it's an adage, which is uh, pets on prem, cattle in the cloud. There you go. There you go. There you go. Hell yes. I like that so much. That's really cool. <laughs> well, thank you all uh, for this segment. It was really, really awesome. Uh, up next, a pre recorded interview with Wheel. We'll dig into the Exim vulnerabilities, how they found them, and what to do about them. Coming up next. 